podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. Hello and welcome once again to me going through the motions here on ESSR Central. My name's Ross McLeod, your co your main host as always, and please welcome one of my four co-hosts because when I told Stephen I need a break from this show, he took that to mean you need more co-hosts. Please welcome through the motions with me in our penultimate show until Christmas, Scott McLeod. You're a lot nicer to your other co-hosts. Starting to take it slightly personal. You should. You should. <laughs> if you'd like to hear me more excited with better people than Scott, you can check out our back catalogue of interviews, previews, news and reviews at suplex re- at Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet, easy for me to say. iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, Android. I really am an autopilot, people. It's two weeks to Christmas, my Christmas holiday even. And that suplex retweet where you can go along with the motions with me. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. If you've got an opinion that you just can't keep to yourself for some reason, why not join in the conversation? Eight sleep suplex retweet community. I won't care what your opinion is, but someone else might. Anyway, Scott, after that fun-filled intro, are you hyped? Tell your voice you're excited, Ross. You sound like you're being fucking tortured over there, son. Uh, I'm just happy that you have the you know the actual production guy from Saturday Draft Live on to you know unlike what you claimed last week with Dave who's never done a bit of editing of that show in his life where I do edit pretty much every episode of Saturday Draft Live and have done since the beginning like I edit this bloody thing so you know at least you could just have me fucking on once a month but if Dave would know what audacity it was if he had the audacity to actually open it and try editing for once. <laughs> Well, that is quite good. That's cheered me right up. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go in for Central. Two weeks right. before Christmas. Fuck it, let's go. Put some Cliff Richard on and we'll go for this. <laughs> Top story this week. Triple A. Triple A. We don't usually talk about Triple A, but uh, Kenny Omega being injured meant that Triple A were going to have a brand new champion for the first time in over 800 days. Uh, their show Triple Mania Regina or Regala or... Here. Regina, Regina. Triple, triple Mania, Regina George 2, Mean Girls, um, <laughs> took place in Monterey, Mexico, December 4th. Uh, guaranteed new world champion. Uh, we had a fatal five-way between El Hijo del Vikino, Samuri de Sol, Jay Lefo, Bobby Fish and Bandito. And a fatal five-way for the vacant Triple A Mega Championship in the end. Uh, Vikingo, who was the number one contender to Kenny Omega's World Championship before he vacated it, came out on top in the Fatal Five way. Uh, elsewhere on the show, some uh, noticeable ones. Uh, FTR, the AAA World Tag Team Champions, defeated Los Lucha Bros, Pentagon Jr. and Phoenix, the AEW Tag Team Champions. Uh, FTR had Vicky Guerrero in their corner, and it was a ladder match. Uh, just looking at some of the other matches here, guys. Sorry, just going through it. Like I said, going through the motions. 
Uh, Dragon Lee and Dralistico defeated Lariato Kid and Willie Mack, Willie Mack of TSI Impact fame. So uh, a lot of a lot of well-known names to American uh, households, a lot of the Forbidden Door being used here, Scott. Um, do you think the likes of um, Vikingo are going to be hurt by the fact that someone like Kenny Omega wasn't there to lose the title to him? Or do you think it's just a case of, look, Triple A's, one of Triple A's big shows of the year, doesn't matter who wins it, you know, to the hardcore fans of Triple A, it is a big deal. No, I think, you know, as long as they went with, you know, the plan that they were going to go with, you know, with the fact that uh, Vikingo was meant to probably win the, the title from OK Omega. You know, I, know, I know it's all the rumours that it was going to be Andrade, but I think they didn't go with Andrade because Triple A couldn't agree on dates for him to come back as champion. So they put it on one of their own full-time guys, which is a smart thing you do when, you know, you've got relationships with all these other companies. So in a way... You know, eventually when Kenny lost the impact, he eventually found its way back to him, an impact full time guy. And now, in a way, the Triple H belts found its way back to a full time guy. And I think they tried to do their best to kind of, you know, make up for the fact they couldn't have him beat Kenny Omega. So they brought in like four, you know, top guys. And you got from AEW, Bobby Fish and Jay Lethal. Or if you believe the rumors, apparently Triple H were trying to get Brian Danielson uh, and, you know, Samurai Del Sol. And Bandido, obviously Bandido is still the Ring of Honor World Champion. Like big names to have as they're part of the main event. And, you know, I don't know if their plans are for Kenny to come back to AAA at any point. But, you know, if they still want to have that match, they can, they've now got a hook for it. They know Kenny Omega can come back to Mexico and say, I never lost this title. Yeah, absolutely. I do think, though, when Kenny does come back, I think if his... Like by the time it takes him to recuperate, I think AEW might be a little hesitant to let him, you know, run around the world like he is, like he did beforehand. Um, but who knows? Who knows? You know, Tony Khan does have a good relationship with these people, but we are hearing that like the um, the forbidden door sort of thing with Impact is closed. So who knows? It could could happen, could not happen. But Scott. War games. <laughs> well, sorry, Russ. We talked about before we move on about this about the uh, the Lucha Brothers and the uh, the FDR match. First off, <laughs> we can talk about that for a second because the images first off of a of a Mickey Guerrero and FDR coming out and bits of full on red, white, and blue Americana kind of uh, kind of gear that they had on. Also, it was a lot of match they didn't promote. It was a lot of match till the day of apparently because. Triple A are weird, uh, and also this went on. This happened on a Saturday. The previous Friday, on a pre-taped rampage, Phoenix couldn't wrestle in a two or three falls match with FTR, so I had to have Pack fill in for him. But he wrestled the fall on Saturday, basically because Phoenix hates David Hockney. That has been confirmed. So <laughs> Triple Mania Rehab three next year, Phoenix v David Hockney. Let's make that happen. <laughs> yeah, for those of you who don't know. Um... And our and our draft, our our draft, sorry, our fantasy draft. Jesus Christ, he's for me to say. Our fantasy draft. David Hockney was so smug as usual about picking the Lucha Bros. He was calling people idiots for passing passing over on the Lucha Bros. And the Lucha Bros have got him absolutely bugger all since the draft season has began. And he. Um, 
There was meant to be a, a triple A, was it a, was so it for the normal AEW tag, yeah, tag team title match, uh, only for Phoenix not to appear with the other three guys, but then to appear with them in an even more dangerous ladder match all of two days later. So, yes, absolutely brilliant. Absolutely <laughs> brilliant. Always nice to see when David Hockney's so confident in the draft and then it comes crashing down. <laughs> and it hurts inside. Uh, anyway. I was about to say, I'm sure it hurts him inside. <laughs> I, I know, that was just... It's like, yeah, obviously, Triple A titles, they are defended in... Any WLC FTR, I think Daniels might have FTR. Someone's got FTR. Uh, but also, if FTR defend them on TV and AW, apparently it doesn't count. And apparently, if your guy wins the million dollar title, even though it's on a line in a ladder match, it doesn't count, Stephen. Uh, not better at all about that. But uh, the AW titles, I wouldn't big points based on the two or three falls thing. And yeah, they, I'm sure Dave will get a one or two defense by the end of the season. But for now, we're, we're all happy to laugh at him. <laughs> As well, we should be. So, NXT TakeOver War Games took place on the Sunday, uh, the 5th of December. It took place from the WWE Performance Centre. Two uh, War Games matches. The women's match, Team Toxic, against uh, the team of Cora Jade, Io Shirai, Kaylee Ray and Raquel Gonzalez. That opened the show up. And then Team 2.0, which is Braun Breaker, Carmelo Hayes, Grayson Waller and Tony D'Angelo uh, taking on Team Black and Gold, the originals of NXT, Johnny Gargano, Tommaso Ciampa, Pete Dunn, and LA Knight. So before we go into both um, both War Games matches, I'll just read the results for the other matches and you can tell me what your favourite um, favourite non-War Games match was. So we had Imperium uh, taking on Kyle O'Reilly and Von Wagner and defeating them to retain their NXT Tag Team Championships. Cameron Grimes defeating Duke Hudson in a hair versus hair match, and Roderick Strong defeating Joe Casey in a singles match for the NXT Cruiserweight Championship. What out of those three was your favourite match? Oh, definitely the the tag team title match because you know Duke Hudson. I, I could not give a fuck about Duke Hudson, honestly. I probably if you put a group of people in a lineup and tell me what one's Duke Hudson, uh, I probably wouldn't even pay pick him out with or without hair. Because honestly, he is very generic to me. Uh, the Cruiserweight title thing, that seemed interesting. But, you know, as a match, it was kind of just okay. Uh, whereas the tag match was solid, you know. I don't want to be one of the guys, but I remember Favre Nightmare popping up in 2018 NXT before he really found like, a gimmick or became part of Imperium. And I was really impressed with him. I remember seeing him in the Cruiserweight Classic and everything. And seeing how good he, he was, so I'm glad to see him you know, having this proper gig now. Two-time NXT champion alongside Marcel Barthel. And they're just really underrated, I think. It's a tag team. And also, well, the result was probably never in doubt with the rumours about Carol O'Reilly. And Von Wagner, you know, continues to be the most awkward-looking human I've ever seen. Like, he sometimes forgets basic, basic way to move around the ring at times. Yeah, he's a, he's an awkward big man, isn't he? Um, you just touching on, pardon me, the two matches that you weren't too keen on. Um, Cameron Grimes took Hudson. When I was watching it, I was sitting thinking, if this was not for one of these men to be shaved bald, I would not have cared about this match. Um, 
It was just, you know, the hair versus hair gimmick's always exciting, but the match itself fell short. Uh, Roderick Strong, Joe Gacy, the whole inclusion and fat shaming and, you know, I'm going to make this a safe space. I quite liked that gimmick and I quite liked the build to it, but by the end it was just Roderick Strong slapping them about. But, yeah, the, the tag team title match I thought was great. I think we forget Kyle O'Reilly, you know, he's had his single run. He is... He has a uh, tag team specialist. Rumours that he was going to leave, but a bit of a weird one where it was clear for about five minutes that Von Wagner was going to attack him. Kyle O'Reilly turns round, ducks, and then beats the shit out of Von Wagner and then says, I'm going nowhere. I challenge you to a, to a cage match uh, and on Tuesday night. So essentially, he wasn't happy, he wasn't in war games this year. And it was just, it was a weird one. It was it was quite a weird one. Yeah. Like, Von Wagner doesn't have many facial expressions. He has you know, a resting face for whatever he's doing, you know. And then, like you said, like one time he could change his facial expression, you know, that very angry, I'm going to attack you. But he had that, for, like you said, about five minutes while he was waiting for Kelly to turn around. Like, literally, the person right at the very, very back of the arena could probably shout, Kyle, behind you, at the time it took for Von Wagner to actually try and attack him. And then he could even what? do that right because Kyle O'Reilly knew it was coming. I'm actually reading a... Just reading a review of last night's show on Pro Wrestling Net, uh, Powell's NXT 2.0 hit list. And on the miss section, he actually he, he says exactly what you said about Von Wagner. It said, uh, Wagner's lack of facial expressions are an even bigger problem now he's turned heel, and it really took me out of the match. Just what we were saying, like, you, you can't tell what he's thinking. He's like Chandler with dogs. Like, <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, Kyle O'Reilly loses the cage match. Uh, we'll, we'll get into his contract situation uh, in a little bit. But let's talk about war games. Let's talk about the women's war games uh, to start. Um, Raquel Gonzalez I liked how everything was intertwined um, the likes of uh, Raquel Gonzalez she had lost her title to Toxic Attraction as had Io Shirai Io Shirai had an even bigger gripe because her tag team partner was taking out Dakota Kai is running NXT but she wasn't really the leader of that team because that team already has a leader Maddie Rose so it was like there was there was single storylines and it was as if the heel, the faces were united for a common good, whereas the heels, it looked as if their team could just fall apart at any moment. Mm-hmm. It was also, you know, some, it's only it's only a second time it's ever happened, but, you know, the idea of the faces having the advantage, I know eventually you need to do that, otherwise it becomes predictable whenever you do the advantage match that you think the heel's going to win. But, uh, you know, sometimes it feels weird to see, like, the heels gang up two on one with the advantage on the heel, especially when the heel they're gang up on to start was Dakota Kai. Uh, so just seeing Dakota Kai getting beaten up by Cora Jean Keelery was a bit awkward at first, but then uh, it was nice to see that Toxic Attraction, especially you know Gigi and JC Jane, have been are starting to get over with the NXT audience, given they're still fairly new. Really, JC is the greenest of all of them because she was the one who constantly, you know, I think she had a bit on like Raquel Gonzalez and. A bit, it was about as far away from Mikhail as I am to you, Ross, and you're in Phoenix <laughs> Town right now. <laughs> but you know, other than that, you know, I try not to you know, pick at the the, the botches and everything. But 
you know, it wasn't as good, I don't think, as the men's one, but it's weird about how Cora Jade seemed like one of the odd ones out without a much of a story going into this, and yet they made the story of the match seemingly about her. Yeah, I've said this um, before. It seems that the women's war games in the first year was about establishing Rhea Ripley as a star to go up against Shayna Baszler. Uh, the second year, it was about establishing Raquel Gonzalez as a star. Uh, she pinned Io Shirai, and this was, I believe, five months before she eventually won the Women's Championship. Uh, they had her win the Dusty Classic and the, the tag titles in between then. Uh, and this year, it seemed like Cora Jade's... It was a bit awkward at first as well, so they had a, it was an awkward swanton, swan dive, whatever you want to call it, off the top of the cage. Cora Jade puts, is it Gigi Dolan? I think it was, yeah, Gigi's got a lot one with the, like, the orange kind of Becky Lynch style hair. Yeah, she put Gigi through the table. Then it was either so bad a dive that she did injure herself, or she was told, your dives look horrible, that you're going to end up injuring yourself. In fact, do that and we'll make a story in the match. Then, against her will, <laughs> and quite quite uncomfortable, Io Shirai mounted her, held her down, and put her arm back into its socket. <laughs> Which, by the way, people, does not work. Yeah, <laughs> if no. that ever happens to you, go to a doctor. Because yeah, you don't end up getting involved in a lot of the match. Like, there was a point I really liked, though, when all the heels like, are ganging up her because everyone else is there, but she's got that one kid and she's trying to fend them off like, shoo. <laughs> but like, right. I did like also the fact that she tried to pop it, and like you said, it doesn't really help, so it still took her out of the match pretty much up until like the end. I just wanted there to be a moment to get close, and you hear you're like, you feel better now, right? No. If anything, I feel <laughs> worse. <laughs> yeah, because she was getting booed, and um, You Can't Skateboard was getting yelled at her. Um, she did nearly fall off her skateboard during her entrance, that's prefer. We want Gigi, uh, JC Jane, uh, Let's Go Toxic, chants like that towards her. And then she ends up getting the pin and getting cheered at the end of the match. Uh, the end of the match comes, all the wrestlers are in the second ring. Raquel Gonzalez power bombs, uh, one of Toxic, uh, JC Jane, I believe. Um, she then big boots Mandy Rhodes. They both fall to the ground. And then she just kind of jumps in. Cora Jade's the only person left. And she just swan dives onto someone, gets the pin. Before the heels can react, all the faces like jump on their respective heel to stop them breaking up the pin. And three, two, one. Sorry, one, two, three. That's the match over. I know. I remember at the time I was a bit underwhelmed because of the idea of someone just like stealing the the pin, like, especially after, you know, Cora didn't actually do much in the match after she got injured, but I realised, I think looking back at it, maybe that was the, you know, the story of the match, and then she ends up, you know, getting the, the pin. I would like to see she actually done a move to get the pin, rather than just like, oh, everyone's down, scramble, and, like, dived onto the pin, because it did feel like there was like, a good few seconds before she made the realisation that she could actually go for the pin. Anything, but I feel better about it looking back than I did at the at the time when I was watching it. And, you know, Brian Alvarez, you know, who's never negative about anything on Twitter, <laughs> went out and said, you know, because, like, Corey Jade's only, like, 20 years old, so there's still a long way for her to go. But he was like, why is she getting all this praise, you know, for, you know, completing a basic function in a wrestling match by going for the pin? And somebody put a photo of uh, Corey Jade when she wrestled in a death match uh, uh, on the indies, and 
apparently Ryan Alvarez has wrestled a few matches, which are apparently sheets. And uh, they thought, like, this girl was wrestling in death matches when you were 19. You were still learning how to do lockups when you were 30. <laughs> I quite like that one. I, I quite like that just because I don't like Brian Alvarez. He's an absolute tool. Um, you listen to his show, he talks like how people do impersonations of Chandler. This show, do <laughs> not. I cannot believe that. <laughs> I'm Brian Alvarez. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, Melcher came as duty. Anyway, uh, before we get any of our friends quoting anything, uh, Team 2.0, Braun Breaker, Camilo Hayes, Grayson Waller, and Tony D'Angelo get the win over the black and gold brand. Um, I said to you I wasn't a fan of the way this was being built. Uh, Lance Storm even chimed in, he went, why are we making it out black and gold versus two point? Are they bringing back black and gold if black and gold win? I, I just thought it, it made it seem like these are the new people now and you'll like them, a very WWE thing to do. Yeah. And it's like these are the guys who are rebelling against us, changing the thing you liked. Mm-hmm. You know, but we don't want you to cheer. Like it. Gary's made this point before. WWE often makes itself the heel and then wonders why in real life people then end up. Like it's art imitating life because people end up going, oh, I fucking hate WWE. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. As a th- but, sorry, when you go. The fact that people were chanting black and gold for most of the match, you know, not just because they, they were faced, but because they wanted, they preferred, you know, the black and gold. But I think there was a way to do this. Like, but like a couple of weeks before they do, they made the announcement of this war games match, I think they do start to try and, you know, get all these guys interacting with each other. Uh, in a way that kind of can set up the war games, but you know, if you wanted this, this is ultimately what you wanted to do. I mean, you did this reboot in what you started in what October, uh, end of September time, something like that. So you had a bit more time to set up. You could have set up right from the first episode of 2.0, and people would have been happier with the payoff and actually think, oh, this match makes sense. They've actually been telling us this story. But because Tony D'Angelo, who I still like, although I think I like him more just to take the piss out of him. Because literally, when he came down for his part of the match before the next person, a black and gold came in, we were just constantly doing impressions of Tony D'Angelo. <laughs> <laughs> but like, he, the only reason he was in this is that he made a reference to Pete Dunne in one promo one week, and I think that's the extent of his hatred for the black and gold people. So I don't know why exactly he was in there. He felt like the oddest one out, and uh, I probably want. I really wanted black and gold kind of to win. I thought they could have got something out of that, like maybe like Broad Breaker and Carmelo Hayes don't feel like two people who should get along, so I thought you could have parlayed that and them losing into a, a North American title feud between those two, but no, I think now they're doubling down on Braun Breaker going after the NXT title with the fact that he got the pin over Champa. Yeah, I think um, I think I, I always thought it was going to be that way for the simple fact um, since NXT 2.0 was launched, it has looked like the Braun Breaker show. That's not a criticism, by the way. Braun Breaker is, you know, I'd always said WWE often makes itself the bad guy, but Braun Breaker has, like, grasped the imagination. Braun Breaker is well-liked by people, and, you know, he is as charismatic and as insane as his uncle, uh, and he he has been built. They didn't just throw the title on him at Halloween Havoc. They waited because he wasn't quite ready. Now he has a legitimate case to get back into the title picture because he's defeated uh, Champa in the War Games. 
which is how Champa got his match against Adam Cole at um, Takeover Portland, I believe. Um, so yeah, like no problem with the win here, and you know, coming out of it, Grayson Waller will. Let's mention him, um, Johnny Gargano. We <coughs> we made reference to him before. Comes out to Rebel Heart. Comes out in a sort of think of Sting at Bound for Glory 2005 when he came out with all <laughs> all his attires on. And Johnny, could I be wearing any more attires? That's what he looked <laughs> like. Um, and it, it just it got really emotional really quickly. And apparently he is done with WWE for now. He, my personal opinion, I don't think he's going anywhere. I think he'll be back in WWE sometime in the future. However, I think he is generally just going away to be a father for now. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But Grayson Waller, his attack on Johnny Gargano, I mean, what a piece of shit. And that's just cemented him as possibly the number one heel in NXT. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, they're really... Because I wasn't sure what the hell they were doing with him when he came in, because he's kind of seen like, this goofy face when he was doing the thing back and forth with LA Knight. And then they realised, no, let's make Grayson the heel, because LA Knight's a lot more charismatic. Uh, and then he basically, he was one of the ones on Team XT 2.0 who took a lot, more, a lot of the bumps more than the rest of the team because he got battered in that match. And then, yeah, he gets to come out and live all the heat of, like, oh, fuck you. And potentially Johnny's last to be in XT, the last thing image is you battering him, you wee prick. So, yeah, I think I like the idea that and he, because he's honestly going on about his Instagram and everything, how he didn't have to work to get where he was. So, I think you can do a lot with him. Uh, maybe you can parlay that into a feud with him and Dexter Loomis, you know, kind of keep the way going. But I agree with you a bit, Johnny, because apparently after NXT went off the air, there was a whole like farewell for him and Kyle. I think Kyle's more likely to go somewhere else. I think Johnny's just welcome back eventually. I've seen all sorts of theories about how Johnny could like come back either to NXT or the main roster. One of the ones I like is uh, depending on how long he goes away about him going to Raw to reunite with Austin Theory. No, I think the way he's left now, the way he get it, um, he can't go back heel just now. I think he has to be face, fall out, like, or even if he had a feud with Austin Fury, I'd, I'd like that, but, um, <coughs> excuse me, we, um, just before we move on to Johnny Gargano and Kyle O'Reilly and talk about where they're going to end up, um, I've seen a lot of people kind of annoyed the WWE were showing a lot of uh, vignettes during the show. Mm-hmm. I, I personally don't have a problem with it, just for the simple fact that... Um, so, WWE launched 2.0. Not everyone knows who these people are. So, what better way than a War Games, which drew the casual fan in, to then reintroduce them to these people? Like, you know, you use... You use the platform that's in front of you. Yeah, my issue wasn't the fact that they had vignettes during the show. My, my issue was that most of them were shite, <laughs> to be honest with you. Because <laughs> uh, you had some good ones, but then you you had this weird boa one talking about how basically he's basically keeping the TN story going on by himself now, it seems. Then you also had this guy, I can't, I can't even remember his name, but he was sitting in a, a cafe drink, looking at a cup of coffee, just seeing generic lines like actions speak louder than words and all that and opportunities and all that generic crap. 
I think you had two varying Eichmann Giro vignettes. One of them was explaining why he wears a jacket all the time and what the Eichmann mean translates to handsome and everything. So, which actually made him sound like quite a fun, endearing baby, baby face. And then later on, he does another vignette where he eats a lot of food and takes a massive shite. Which are like, these are two varying gimmicks here. The one yeah, I remember, I remember you saying when I asked you why don't you like him, you said, I don't mind him, just don't fucking drag Kashida into your bullshit. I know, he had two vignettes. He's in a tag team called Jacket Time with, with Kushida, and yet he had two vignettes. No mention of Kushida anywhere. It's absolutely ridiculous. But anyway, um, Kyle O'Reilly and Johnny Gargano. I, I said about Johnny Gargano, I think I don't think he's going anywhere. I think he is just... He's taking some time, you know. He, although he's been on the NXT roster, not done as much, not not travelling, but not as much, um, not as many indie dates as the main roster. He still has done quite a bit for the company. He's done all the the live events that NXT have done. Um, he's not really had a break. He's had some niggling injuries, and he's about to become a father. The due date of February, so. Ah, uh, why not take, you know, when you know you've got job security like that and you can just waltz back in any time, why not take a couple of months off and just spend some time with your family? Ah, I completely get uh, Johnny Gargano's decision. Kyle O'Reilly, um, so I, I, we know Dave Hockney is a massive uh, Undisputed Era fan. I had my Adam Cole top on because I couldn't find my Undisputed Era top. Uh, for war games, rooting for Team 2.0. I'm actually wearing it just now. I'm just in from work, and um, I I love the Undisputed Era. But the last thing I want to see, and it's it's happening in it's happening in Ring of Honor, it's happening in Impact, and it's happening in AEW, where ex WWE guys, and I'm not all ex WWE guys because Rusev has went there and just completely changed his gimmick and has been sensational. But they just they show up and they either change their their name or their tag team's name and then they just keep doing what they were doing in WWE, the thing that was getting stale in the first place. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So the last thing I want is for Kyle O'Reilly to show up in AEW to put together some like Team Undisputed or Undisputed Time or something like that to get around the, the legal rigmarole. Uh, of not using Undisputed Era and AEW. I, Kyle O'Reilly, I, I've made no secret, I, I haven't liked him as, as a face. I, I haven't liked him as a number one contender. I think he is a stable guy or a tag team guy. But, yeah, just bland babyface Kyle O'Reilly, quite frankly, I have no interest in seeing him show up for a cheap nostalgia pop to team with Adam Cole and Bobby Fish in AEW, I'd much rather see if he went to Impact mm. or see if he showed up on the last Ring of Honor show. Great. I think he could be a megastar in Impact or a megastar in the rebrand of Ring of Honor. But I do not want to see him in AEW. That's fair enough. I mean, Bobby Fish has, I think, already signed with AEW. So, you know, I'd- he can also wrestle elsewhere, so he he can go other places and team up with Kevin, just not in AEW. But I, I'm I'm okay with them not doing all three of them and getting back together. But I would like to see maybe Bobby and Kyle getting back together because they never called them Red Dragon at any point when they were both in WWE. 
I think they may have made reference to it, like, because like, Nigel McGuinness on Quantum may have mentioned once or twice they did a finisher called Chasing the Dragon, which was linked into their tag name, but they never called that, so I think they can still get away with that. But yeah, basically doing a retread of all of that. I mean, EAW even did, like, wink nod to, uh, to well, like, when they tweeted out the clip of uh, Adam Quantum, he was getting with Bobby Fish, they had to slip the word undisputed uh, into the title of it. But I think Adam's fine where he is with the Bucks and everything. Because I think that guy sits somewhere as Fish and O'Reilly, while good on their own wrestling wise, I think character wise they're better when they're together. Uh, yeah, no, as a tag team, I think they're better together. I just I don't like to see it in AEW. Well, actually, as a tag team, just the two of them in AEW, I wouldn't mind. I find the AEW tag division a wee bit stale at the minute. Um, but I, I have no interest in an undisputed era AEW edition, if you get me. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so it'll be interesting to see where these guys end up because is it a 30-day non-compete clause if you're released from NXT but if you if your contract runs out you don't, would you call it? Yeah, there's no non-compete if your contract, like if you don't re-sign your contract expires, once it expires that's you free to do what you want because you remember Moxley, I think at the end of April 2019, his contract expired so he's basically free from then on, and so he signed with AEW right about the time of their next show, their first ever show, which was like mid-May. So, yeah, basically, if if he wanted to, Kyle uh, O'Reilly, now that he's free from the contract, if he has not re-signed in, he could show up this weekend at Ring of Honor or at one of the last AEW shows of the year because they've got Winter is Coming next week and you know, Battle of the Belts that started January, so he could basically show up on any of them if he wanted to. Gargano, I think his is a weirder situation because if he is just going away because you know he wants to be with Candice and the baby and everything, that's you know, understandable. But I think it's interesting that he's just chosen not to like, re-sign while doing it. So maybe he's weighing up his options for when he comes back because Candice, I think, is still under contract till sometime next year. Uh, and there's thought that some people rumouring that they might add time onto her contract cause for time that she had off because, remember, Brody Lee took so long to finally get free of WWE because they get the added time onto his contract for time he was injured. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, yeah, that that was a weird one. They did it to Rey Mysterio as well, actually, before he left and came back. Um, so we've talked about uh, those uh, those two superstars leaving where they might end up. Uh, Beth Phoenix uh, called her last match for NXT at the War Games pay-per-view. She announced she was going to spend more time with her family. This comes after Scotty Too Hotty uh, also asked for his release, uh, saying that he was only doing it for the paycheck now. Uh, Brian Alvarez on Wrestling Observer Live recently suggested there's more to meet the eye than all these uh, releases and people asking for the release. Uh, Alvarez speculated that the announcer might not be the last person to leave as he'd been told by some within the brand that working there is no longer fun. Uh, there's been rumours, obviously, that Beth could join the Miz and Edge feud uh, with mixed tags involving Maurice. Uh, he said it's not as if they couldn't do the feud with Miz and Maurice and also do NXT commentary. She's just decided she's done with NXT, whatever that means. She says it's due to family, but all, this also, again, might not be the last person, because no matter what you guys think about me or anyone else saying that it sucks, it does. There, there are many people who have just told me it's not fun to work there anymore. I think this story is 
I'm going to use a plate word. Hogwash, as Sheldon Cooper would say. <laughs> um, I think this is just... Um, I think this is just Brian Alvarez saying something rubbish. So then he is um, using people leaving to then get, well, oh yeah, it must be rubbish because this one left and that one left. Ignoring the fact that maybe Scotty Tuhati was bold after 30 years in WWE. It happens. Maybe Beth Phoenix does want to spend more time with the family. Maybe Johnny Gargano wants to become a father. Maybe Kyle O'Reilly just wants to try something else. You know what I mean? Like, and uh, if people don't like working in NXT anymore, that's fair enough. They are entitled to leave. But this story to me seems a bit more um, trying to make your opinion fact than finding a fact that matches your opinion. Starting to really know what to think is, you know, he's saying that he's been told by people. We don't know if he has or he hasn't. We don't know what people have said that because like the people who have told him they said if they don't find it fun, fun to work there anymore may not have the same opinion as I might not be the widespread opinion of everybody who's backstage so this is really not a lot you can say this because like just somebody who can't be named said it wasn't funny anymore that doesn't mean that everybody else who works backstage who's been there for a while thinks the same because from what I've heard about NXT basically as Vince's kind of directive of what he wants the show to be but still the same team behind the scenes that now have to make that happen they've been working there before like Shawn Michaels has pretty much been the guy running the show since Triple H, you know, had his cardiac event, and so maybe it's just a case of like because they're wanting to move different way creatively, it just doesn't feel the same as it was when it was buying gold for a lot of people. And honestly, if they don't feel the same environment, then then it's their choice to to leave. So I think maybe it's just because because they've changed how the show's put together to create a different atmosphere for people, and maybe they don't like it as much as they used to. Yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm rambling this, but I'm basically saying like, it might feel like a different atmosphere and like not the same as it did for people before, and that's fine, it's put up to them, but you know, it doesn't mean it's that way for everybody, so I don't know how to really feel about that, about like seeing this story about how people are feeling. Obviously, change is very diff- difficult, like, given basically how radically they changed everything NXT from like the very like offset of, of 2.0, and I feel if you're not just like someone like Brian, I was like, but if you're like somebody who's just an average wrestling fan or like somebody in our group chat because a few people in uh, in our group chat aren't really fans of like the new version of NXT so if you're not really a fan of like how NXT is looking now and you see the story it's not really good to do much to change your opinion of the brand as it is now yeah I agree um, he's, he's just a bit of a knob isn't he <laughs> <laughs> that, that's all you can really say he is a knob <laughs> Dave Meltzer, I, I don't mind. Dave Meltzer at times is is a wee bit biased towards the wrestling he likes, but it is what he likes. Um, but I feel he sometimes gives WWE credit when it's due, whereas Brian Alvarez, he is just a little dickhead. Yeah, and like, I've seen people call him out for like, sometimes his opinions, because you know, Meltzer you know, stands by you know, what he says. Like, sometimes he does make a dicky sell and he can acknowledge it at times, but you know, Alvarez, like, there are people who have called it the fact that, you know, he's, like, his own show and then he has a show he does with Meltzer and, like, there are times where he does, like, a random pay-per-view that he doesn't like and he'll rip on it on his own show and then get ready to do it on the Meltzer show and then as soon as Meltzer says, oh, I actually thought it was a bit, it was quite good, he'll then just go, oh, yeah, yeah, me too, me too. <laughs> 
Oh, just, just is this because you're talking to your your big pal Dave? Is it you don't want him to be to be annoyed at you? <laughs> um, so we move on now. Uh, WWE management. Uh, it is expected that when Vince McMahon eventually either retires or steps down from WWE, um, that Nick Khan has emerged as the most likely candidate to replace him. Um, during the, uh, during this week's Wrestling Observer Radio, Dave Meltzer was asked about the favourite to take over McMahon. Meltzer says Nick Khan is the front runner, saying it's kind of a board of directors thing, but you know, probably Nick, uh, probably Nick Khan, yeah. Unless they went and hired someone else from the outside, it's probably going to be Nick Khan. Um, for years, I think we all thought it was going to be Shane McMahon, like during the Attitude Era, and then it became clear that it was going to be Stephanie McMahon. Then with the NXT era, we were all like, oh, it's a Triple H. And now it seems like Triple H, after his sort of, uh, his heart, uh, his cardiac issue, is going to be in a less stressful role now. Uh, but Nick Khan, um, it's a tweet from uh, Doug, Doug Gillespie, I can't pronounce the man's name, I do apologise. But he said, he put a tweet up saying, this is Nick Khan. He grew up in Vegas, waited on tables, and after going to uh, the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, put himself through law school, got into the agent biz, and became one of the most powerful agents in sport media. Today, he became the chief financial operator of WWE. So Nick Khan is a self-made man. Um, and I don't think anyone can... Can. <laughs> <laughs> If anyone, anyone can, can, Nick can. Nick can. <laughs> <laughs> then I'll get. Sure I'm pretty sure I can't believe not enough people were saying when AEW logo, you want an alternative to WWE. If anyone can, Tony can. <laughs> um, Nick can. Um, he is a self made man, but I don't think he's endeared himself to WWE, um, WWE fans, sorry, just with the, the mass releases. But hey, maybe. Maybe when he's running it, he might have a different sort of view of things. I, I don't know. I can only speculate. But yeah, that one surprised me. Nick Tan, front runner to take over from Vince McMahon. Uh, I just always thought it was going to be Triple H. Yeah. Like, Nick Tan, when he was working in like, waiting tables, clearly wherever he was working, he, he thought there was too many other people working with him. And he waited for the day where he could just cut a lot of people. And then he got this job in WWE, given what he's been doing this <laughs> last year. Uh, so yeah, that's not really endeared. I'm like, yeah, like Vince is a guy who's not pushed a lot of your uh, favorite guys, but Nick Khan seems to be the guy, you know, who's seen as firing all the ones that you like, even though you know Vince does have his part in it and like approve probably who gets fired, and everything. So it does seem weird, especially given that the whole. The talk was when Shane left for like six years before coming back in 2016 was he left because he was annoyed that it seemed like Stephanie and Triple H were going to take over. And, you know, as much as people hate Stephanie, she does seem to have, you know, and all like the business side of things and Triple H, you know, the way he was running XD, everybody wanted to see like more of that, you know, echo up to the, the main roster. But maybe I think there's, maybe they're changing their minds on whether or not Triple H should step in to get a role like running the company because of, you know, he was already that he was he was already in a high stretch job running NXT and you know, being involved in talent and now he's had this you know heart issue and maybe they're concerned like long term health how that will affect him stepping into Vince's shoes 
Because, you know, mm. Vince McMahon is foregoing sleep for many years, which is probably... I've often thought, like, if Vince just got a solid eight hours one night, he would change a lot of things the next morning. <laughs> He's like, he would go, like, did I make a whole pay-per-view about an egg, or did I dream that? <laughs> um, well, looking to the future, um, we talked about people being released. Some people hopefully being signed by the WWE in the future uh, through the inaugural Next in Line class. Um, uh, it will be, pardon me, uh, just reading the the, the blurb. Uh, WWE today unveiled 15 college athletes who will be among the first to participate in the newly formed Next in Line or NIL name, image and likeness program. That provides a clear pathway from collegiate athletics to WWE. The inaugural Next in Line class will include athletes from 13 universities, seven NCAA conferences and four sports. In addition to the United States, the class includes representation from myriad countries spanning, uh, sorry, from a myriad of countries spanning Canada and Nigeria. The following 15 athletes will join Olympic gold medal uh, medalist Gable Stevenson in WWE's first of its kind. NIL program. So I'm not going to read the names of everyone here uh, because I know for a fact I can't pronounce half of them. Uh, but if you go into WWE.com or WWE's Twitter, or even I'm on PW Mania just now, they have that list there. Um, you'll be able to find the entire the entire lineup, where they are, what sports they're in. But Scott, this is um, this is something that. Um, WWE have often tried to do. They've tried to get people from outside of wrestling who maybe get it. You know, for every you know, people like to point at people like Nathan Jones, maybe. (laughs) But for every Nathan Jones, there's a Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Mm -hmm. You know, for every for every King Corbin, there was a Baron Corbin in NXT who was quite cool. Yeah, and. It's weird. It's had such mixed success with you know it has just almost as many you know successes as failures with this kind of thing. It's hard to really judge how this is going to go in the long term because you know right right now they've got the Rules of Aggression documentary up and they're talking about that OVW class of Shelton, Brock, Cena, Batista, Orton, everything. Talk about that's one of the greatest like developmental classes of all time. But they're very adamant in that they're very open in that documentary about how a lot of them went straight from, you know, collegiate or athletic background straight into learning how to be pro wrestlers and didn't have that indie kind of background and it created some of the biggest stars that they had. But, you know, it's also, you also can't really rest on just replicating that success in the long term. You know, you can see why they're going for this kind of strategy. Although I don't think, you know, they should be completely foregoing the whole not signing indie talent at the minute. Because while the indie talent do have other places to go, you know, the way they, they and they're also not really endearing themselves to some of the to indie talent that they're given that they've brought, the many people they've brought in and they can get past next year or two or five live before getting released this year. I do think you need to have that balance in there because I think some of the best matches that he's had in the last decade or so have been between people who have had the indie experience and wrestled that, you know, quote unquote WWE style. When you have like some of a purely WWE guy like a Cena or a Roman go up against a, an AJ Styles or a Seth Rollins or a Daniel Bryan in that clash of styles. Because I think eventually if you do this long enough, you'll have everybody wrestle the same style and that will put people off everything looks the same. 
Yeah, no, absolutely agree with that. Um, you can't um, you can't complain that indies all look the same because guy, oh, every guy does a sunset flip or a, every guy does a dive. Well, you know, we can't have every dive doing a, a classic lock-up to start the match, you know what I mean? It'll get boring after a while. Um, good luck to the 15 and uh, Gable, who, or Gabe. Is it Gable or Gabe? I think, I think it's Gabe. Gable. Good luck, Big G. Um <laughs> <laughs> what up, G? Um, when he he uh, joins uh, the company. So, before we get into the quickfire news, just a quick preview of Ring of Honor's final battle. So, an 11 match card, Scott. I'm going to read the card out to you just now. Um, two teams, both two to be determined. There's going to be a 10 man tag team match on the pre show. Uh, I should sorry, I should point out. Um, Ring of Honor's final battle does take place December the 11th in Baltimore, Baltimore, Maryland. Jesus, easy for me to say. A 10-man tag team match on the pre-show. I think this might be some classic Ring of Honor guys maybe coming back just for a quick pop. Nice wee thing on the pre-show. A singles match for the Ring of Honor women's title as Roxy takes on Willow Nightingale. Uh, Dalton Castle, Rhett Titus, Silas Young and Joe Henry in a four-corner survival match for the Ring of Honor World Television Championship. Uh, Shane Taylor Promotions uh, taking on The Righteous in a six-man tag team match for the Ring of Honor World Six-Man Tag Team Championship. Uh, Josh Woods versus Brian Johnson in a pure rules match for the Ring of Honor Pure Championship. Uh, Matt Taven and Mike Bennett taking on the Briscoes. Uh, for the Ring of Honor World Tag Team Championships. Kenny King versus Shane Taylor in a fight without honour. Uh, Eli Osom, Taylor Rust and Tracy Williams versus Brody King, Homicide and Tony DePan in a six-man tag team match. Chelsea Green and the Hex taking on Miranda Alaze and the Allure, the team of Angelina Love and uh, Mandy Leon in a six-woman tag match. Dragon Lee versus Ray Horace and Bandito versus Jonathan Grishman in a singles match for the Ring of Honor World Championship. Jonathan Grishman, or Grish, is Grisham, am I pronouncing that right? Grisham. Grisham, Grisham. <laughs> um, from the outside looking in, uh, is someone who Ring of Honor have put a lot on. You know, he, he was the pure champion. He has been consistently booked in a strong manner. And I think if you're going to, if this is the end of the era show, if this is before Ring of Honor goes away for a bit, before relaunching in the second quarter of 2022, I think Ian Gresham is the man to win the title. I like Bandito, I like Bandito's look, but I think if you're going to go a different direction, you need a different champion. Yeah, I think they've given Bills into him as being a guy for a while because you know, during the pandemic and when they're doing like empty arena shows uh, they seem to put like, an emphasis on wrestling by bringing back the pure title that has like, a specific set of like, rules that go with the title so that was and they had him kind of as the face of that and then when it was time they kind of had him drop it to someone else uh, while elevating him up to the next level which is the main event and you know it'll be interesting to see what happens with him if he does walk out as the champion because he uh, he's, tra- he's starting off his own care promotion where he's, or he's running shows under this new thing called Terminus which starts in January and like they've been announcing in the man of the walking dead <laughs> uh, like been, he's been announcing people like Moose for that show so he's got a lot of big names attached to it you know and maybe unlike his opponent 
uh, in this main event. He won't be, he won't book a former sex offender on his show. Uh, <laughs> fucking hell. I, I like Bandido, but you did book Travis Banks, mate. I mean, come on. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. He did. The, you know, the idea of Gresham running his, the first promotion, first show of his like new promotion in January, and then be able to main event it himself, but with bringing in the Ring of Honor to a old draw, maybe some eyes, and he could go to other promotions to defend the Ring of Honor to a while they take their absence, because they are going to start back up again. I know a lot of people are crying as you know, the death of Ring of Honor, but like they already had to bring a lot of people showing up at other shows, like NWA did a pay per view recently, and Matt Taven and uh, Mike Bennett were on that show defending their Ring of Honor tag belt, so we can see those belts pop up elsewhere. But it does feel like, uh, like it, it's kind of Jonathan Gresham's kind of time because with um, starting up his own thing and uh, the kind of hype around him now, he's going to do a lot of stuff as world champion. And so I think they're going to want somebody who has a lot of fan support to be the world champion when they start back up in April to try and get fans behind this like, new version of Ring of Honor. Yeah, maybe. Um, look, it it's not going to be the death of Ring of Honor. I think people are getting a bit over the, again, a bit over the top here. But I do think that um, I do think it's the end of an era, and I do think that people are going to. Well, while, while it's away, people are going to be like, "Oh God, remember Ring of Honor? It's not going away. It's just it's taking." Japan does this at times, for God's sake. <laughs> It's going to be like Japan and the wrestling scene while everybody else is focusing on other companies like GCW, Impact, New Japan, AEW. It's just Ring of Water just popping a light Ross from Friends. will go back to the Friends and go, I am on a break. <laughs> You're on a break. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Okay. So the, rest, so the rest of the card looks fine. You've know, you got Joe Hendry uh, in a four-way for for the TV title. And I feel bad for Joe. He worked on a new character, got himself in great shape. You know, signed with an American promotion who then say, oh yeah, we're now we're switching up our format and we're going to take like three months off. <laughs> I know, it's um, it is a weird one uh, for poor Joe, but I hope that he gets his big win uh, before before the, the door slams shut on uh, Ring of Honor until at least April. Right, um, Campbell's question coming up in a little bit, a different format to this week. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. But first... Quickfire news, um, ICW's Square Go has announced its first participant. Big Demo will be competing at the annual Royal Rumble-style event on the 20th of February 2022 at the SWG3 in Glasgow. Uh, Shota Amino will return to OTT on Sunday 19th of December and the Kings of Belfast show at the Europa Hotel. The show also features Robbie X, Mark and Vicky Haskins, Big Demo and the Kings of the North. Uh, Andy Wilde has agreed to appear at Fair City Wrestling uh, in Dundee in 2022. No more information at this time, just a post from the promotion that said Andy Wilde coming 2022. Uh, Charlotte and Andrade have apparently split up because this is now an OK Magazine show. Um, they are on a break. <laughs> they are on a break. Apparently rumours are that it was Charlotte's decision to terminate the relationship. Um, Andrade will change his Facebook to no it was mutual I'm telling you <laughs> uh, Kyrie Sane is apparently done with WWE uh, Kyrie Sane was working as an ambassador for WWE in Japan however recently on an Instagram handle uh, and Twitter handle she now lists herself as a former WWE superstar and has removed the WWE from her name um, 
Gabriel Kidd has graduated from the Young Lions system in New Japan. His recent US run is part of his excursion. Uh, Minoru Suzuki will appear in DDT Pro Wrestling for the first time in six years. It's part of a six-man tag team match teaming with Chris, Book- Chris Brooks and Maki Ito. Is I pronounce that right? Uh, Maki Ito. That no. mad one who, who popped up in AEW who would sing during her entrance. All right. Well, Macchiato will be at DDT Pro Wrestling, and I'm sure she'll be full of caffeine. Anyway, <laughs> uh, Rey Mysterio is teasing a major announcement regarding the legacy of the Rey Mysterio character uh, on the 9th of December. Uh, Rey just put up a very vague tweet uh, to me, but the looks of it, it looks like either he sold the rights to the character to a comic book company, or... He has maybe maybe WWE are going to do their own versions of um, their own versions of Rey Mysterio style comic books. I don't know. Uh, PWG, uh, the Battle of Los Angeles is going to take place on the 29th and 30th of January. Uh, Jonah Rock and Alex Shelley announced the first two names for this year's P- uh, P- Pro Wrestling Gorilla. Jesus Christ. Battle Los Angeles. More names to come. You can find it on PWG's Twitter page. Right, Scott. Campbell's question. Now, we can all agree he's a despicable human being. (laughs) Yeah. But he is doing some good. He is uh, compiling the top 10 list for, um, for our ESSR top 10 male and female superstars of the year so this will be a, a list that covers most of wrestling it'll mostly be um AEW and WWE people just because that is the two main promotions a lot of the people here watch but on the 28th of pardon me on the 28th of December he will be releasing a show there and he will reveal the top 10 men and women but just to get a wee bit of conversation going for this show Scott we have number 15 to number 11, the people that missed the top 10 cutoff for the women's list. So we're going to have a wee conversation on our thoughts of thoughts on this and any you feel should have been in the top 10 and any you feel even in the top 15 is far too high for them. So the women's top 15 to top 11 of 2021, according to the ESSR uh, contributors. Number 15, Io Shirai. Number 14, Hikaru Shida. Number 13, Jordan Grace. Number 12, Nikki A.S.H. And number 11, Tay Conti. So, Scott, um, you obviously you helped compile a list uh, to, for David as well. What's your thoughts on the 15-11 of the women's list? I think Jordan and Takara Shida should be around about 11-12 respectively because Nikki A.S.H., I mean... Yes, she won money in the bank and a Robin's title, but you know, personally, I was not a fan of this this whole gimmick change. And I think you heard me before on the show, just like I just couldn't understand. It's one of those things that you don't like and other people do. And you're trying your best to figure out why other people like it, and you just can't. It was just one of those things like I just don't get it. Why is it because it's her idea? It's suddenly good. Uh, Ty Conte, fair enough. She had a good match at Full Gear, but I think a lot of her best stuff's been on the kind of B shows for AEW this past year. Uh, Io Shirai, I think, kind of, she's recently kind of been featured prominently as she should be in NXT, but for a while she was kind of in limbo because she and Zoe Stark weren't really doing much as women's tag champs, whereas in Jordan Grace, she's been a standout, you know, one of the key women in the knockouts division of 
former Knockouts champion, first ever digital media champion. And Takara Shida, I think, should get a lot more respect in terms of like the best woman of the year because up in, for the first half of the year and for much of 2020, she was really the shining light of the of the women's division. She was the one holding up. She was having the best matches the women's still had seen up to that point up until Britt Baker won the belt, which in itself was a solid match. But I feel like as soon as Britt won the title, Takara Shida just fell very far down the totem pole. Yeah, um... See, I th- this will be something that um, doesn't really happen in AEW with the new TBS title as sort of the secondary title. I don't think you'll see people fall off the card as much the way Hikaru Shida did because she was the longest reigning, was it longest reigning overall champion in AEW at one point? Yeah, she was like the longest champion like of any like champion because like she won it at Double or Nothing one year and then lost at the fair, the same. Was at the same event the following year, so. There you go. So, nearly, nearly a year long run. Uh, sorry, an over year long run. And yeah, as you said, I think she deserves more respect. I think the first, obviously, five months of the year, people tend to forget. There is a thing of we all do it. It's recency bias, uh, and stuff that happens at the start of the year tends to get forgot about. But yeah, Hikarashira was. Was holding, was holding the gold at the start of the year. Same with Io Shirai, but she did just kind of fall off uh, the radar, and that is the trouble. We, me and you have spoken about this before. It used to be that when someone lost a world title or a women's title in NXT, they would not be on the roster the next week, and then they'd be on the main roster, like say two, three weeks later, and their story would continue, and they would they would just sort of move on and it wouldn't feel like, oh God, they, they, it would feel like it's a new chapter. Whereas this new generation of NXT where people stick around, there is that sort of, um, sort of, oh God, that's a downgrade. Uh, number 13, Jordan Grace. Um, do you think she would be higher up if more people watched Impact? Probably, <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, she has a former knockout champion to won the tag belts this year and you know so she's been like so she hasn't had her first year of accomplishments this year and if you watch uh, I think she's been on pretty much every impact pay-per-view like if you're just watching like the pay-per-views but she's been featured on the, the weekly TV and in the, the monthly special as well but I do think there's only a select few people on this particular podcast that do watch impact so I think she would be a bit higher if people did watch yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, Nikki Ash, really not a fan. I'm sorry. I know we're a Scottish-based podcast, but th- there's got to be a, a reason to support someone other than the fact that they come from the same island of five million people than I you mean, do. I'm so yeah, like you go. yeah, she definitely. I'm, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be annoyed if she got into the top ten. So I'm, I'm happy that she got into the top ten. But out of everybody. You talk about who's maybe even a bit too high in the top fifteen. I definitely say it's her, and I know I might upset some people. This, but like before the superhero thing, what was she really doing in twenty twenty one? Of really any note, and then wins money in the bank for a quick pop. The first raw with fans back to wins the big title, loses it. Oh, at SummerSlam, not really in the build to SummerSlam is made to feel like the strongest of champions. Then goes in this makeshift team with Rhea uh, Ripley, who like many before them with the women's tag titles, do little with them. And then despite being one half of the tag champs, it's not deemed 
as one of the five best women to be to represent Raw in a five-on-five match, even though her tag partner is. And then they lost the tag titles, and now they're doing the whole story with her. Oh, she's lost her confidence. So it is. She said, "I shit you." <laughs> if I were her, I would be very unconfident myself. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, I think Nikki, Nikki Ash. And it pains me to say this about Scott, but she is a worse actress than Natalia. She is so... See, see the way like so many people in the US have just been taken in by um, by Kaylee Ray mm-hmm. and like, stuff we've known for years about Kaylee Ray, about how she has this this swagger, this confidence, this sort of... I, I'm that good. That, that look on her face. I'm that good. What are you going to do about it? Mm-hmm. Like Nikki Ash looks like, like as if she over rehearses her lines. If you get me, like mm-hmm. sometimes there's got to be a bit of freedom to it. Whereas it's like, I am a very Scottish, overpronounced woman, <laughs> and I am wrestling, and it's like, oh, piss off, just piss off. It, sitting there with your Gerald Butler accent, people slide Drew McIntyre's accent in WWE. Nikki A.S.H.'s accent in WWE is absolutely atrocious. I don't know what else to say. I think I've criticised her, and I think we're both going to get some some hate for those who remember ICW Nikki and uh, to those people. Well, ICW Nikki couldn't act either. Aye, aye. And to those people, please send all criticisms to at uh, CapDave91, and I'm sure they'll make their way back to me. Yes, yes. Or like in between us. Put your thoughts in any bin, anywhere, and it'll make its way back to me. <laughs> um, number any, eleven, take on. Sorry, you have any, like dear girls, if you have any comments about this or you just want to chat about it, please, please don't come crying to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, take on to number eleven, uh, a, a success story. I think of someone who who was released by WWE. Someone else took a chance on them. And instead of being, oh, she worked for, like, she's an ex-NXT girl, it's now became that she's more known for her her work in AEW. And she's she really has done wonders, I think, character-wise and ring-wise mm-hmm. and everything else. Just to get get over, I think. I think she's, She's a lot better in the ring. She's a lot more confident on the mic. She has a legitimate badass. She has a black belt in jiu-jitsu, I believe. So, you know, she has someone who can legitimately kick your head off. Um, and I'm really happy to see her, ha- like, even making the top 15, I think is a great achievement for her this year for the simple fact that, you know, did anyone see this coming when she was in NXT? Oh, no, certainly not. But I think the thing is, it's also on the part of the Dark Order, but people seem to forget that just her and Anna Jay are, you know, the the lone two women in the the Dark Order. But and I, and I always said, oh, she did a lot of her stuff on like the B shows and everything. But like, she's one of the few people that's became a star by going slowly, which is like, through Dark and Dark Elevation. They are now probably featured on the main shows, and yet that title shot against Britt Baker at, at full gear. I think did better yeah. than a lot of people were expecting. But the main thing I'm saying about like, the fact that she has done a lot of stuff on the, you know. Dark and Dark Elevation before getting featured on the main shows is that you know you had to do that in order to elevate herself to get to this point. But if we're honest with ourselves, who really has the time to watch Dark, Dark Elevation, Dynamite, and Rampage on a weekly basis? 
Oh, no one, no one. It's the same with um, NXT UK, NXT Raw and SmackDown, which, you know, the likes of uh, Rhea Ripley made her way through. And that's sort of the journey take on. He's taken, she's the, the real success story of Dark, I believe. I don't, I don't think many other people have, you know, established themselves, you know, outside of Dark. I think a lot of people have... Um, have either got to dark elevation or they've stayed where they are, whereas Take Conte is now, you know, she's someone who's on Rampage and Dynamite on a frequent basis. And, yeah, she's definitely benefited for the fact that there is more TV time to go around as opposed to just three hours each week. Yeah, and Jermaine always went on Dynamite or Rampage, but then when she does go to, she's one of the people who then goes to dark or dark elevation, and then gets win, so she then builds up that one loss record that AEW likes to hyper, which keeps her in the, as a potential contender. Yeah, absolutely. Well, next week, uh, as part of Campbell's question, we'll reveal the list from 15 to 11 for the men's, and then uh, on the 28th, you'll be able to see the top 10 for both men's and women's list. Uh, keep an eye out on our social media, we'll be releasing them, uh, we'll be teasing some, I should say, sorry. Uh, on social media, that's at Suplex Retweet, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. If you want to get involved in the conversation and have your say on it, then that's Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet fan community on Facebook. Or, sorry, just Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet community. You can be a fan of me. I'll start my own community. Um, but <laughs> it's just the Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet community on Facebook. We have a YouTube, sorry, yes, we do have YouTube. Uh, we have Quiz Showdown. We yes, we have, we have a Quiz Showdown coming up this weekend. Scott, would you like to tell them about it? Oh, I fucking have to. Uh, yes, it's Quiz Showdown X7, which means it'll automatically be the best uh, Quiz Showdown of all time. Uh, and at the end, someone may get battled with a chair. And it'll be called Christmas Ain't Easy. It's a fun wrestling slash Christmas you know, related stuff. So, you know, you don't have to entirely have, you know, it doesn't have to be entirely wrestling knowledge based, but you know, it'll still be a good time. We've got Ross on that. Billy, the defending champion, will be on it. Uh, Ross, you've won the last two that I've hosted, so could you maybe not win this one? People are starting to ask questions. Absolutely not. It's not my fault. The rest of you are shit. Um, we have Quiz Showdown, the Royal Rumble Quiz, the Royal Rumble Quiz, and it's fourth year, it's second year as part of the Quiz Showdown family. That'll be coming up in January. Um, retro Review, we'll eventually get those things back on YouTube. Um, conspiracy Theories, so much more. Uh, oh, Book It. Uh, Book It is on YouTube as well. And, of course... If you want to follow the massive back catalogue, reviews, previews, interviews, and all the news, that's Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet, iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, and all good Android podcasting sites. Uh, this week's feature show was a New Day feature show after the debacle that was December to Dismember. But like we said, the only way we could make December to Dismember worse is if we released a show about it in November. <laughs> uh, thank you very much, Scott McLeod, for joining me for... Uh, when I'm very much in holiday mode, uh, one more week to go. God help whoever's <laughs> on with me next week. Yes, uh, it's been nice to be here and us basically spout our opinions. I basically go, fuck you, we're, we're right and you're not. Especially to yes. those Nicky Cross fans. Yes. Join us next week when I'll be spouting more bio with someone with different opinions. They might be the same as mine, or they might be wrong. Good night. <laughs> Bye.
There now follows an enthusiastic advert for Quiz Showdown X7. Hi, I'm Scott McLeod and I am hosting Quiz Showdown X7 Christmas Ain't Easy. There will be rounds on wrestling on Christmas and laughs will be had by all. It will be a good time. You should watch it. That was an enthusiastic advert for Quiz Showdown X7. Sports Social Podcast Network.